Um, well, hello. I hope you are. I'm Liam. Um, I am part of the staff team here. It's just a real joy to kind of be sharing with you tonight. Uh, my role on the team is that I am the, the youth leader. I get to the, the kind of joy and privilege of leading our wonderful youth church. Define, we've got some of our wonderful young people in the house tonight. Um, it's just great. I love journeying with young people. I love seeing them grow and I love seeing God impact their lives. I just think it's fab. Uh, and uh, I know there's some of the team in the house tonight. So just a big shout out to those guys. Amazing friends. So good to kind of go on this adventure with them. And if you're sat there thinking, I'd love to know more about you. I'd love to come and be part of that adventure. But I'm not sure I've got any skills or qualifications. I don't really have them either. And I don't really know what I'm doing. So come and join me in that boat, guys. I'd love to have a conversation. These guys will attest to the fact that I don't know what I'm doing. And... Um, I'd love to tell you more about that. We're not signing you up or anything, but I just think it's such a great way to kind of serve in the life of the church. I just think seeing young people grow is really special. So do come and catch me about that. What else do you need to know about me? Because I am realize maybe you've not seen my face up at the front, kind of sharing from the Bible before. Um, I'll tell you a couple of quick things. I'm married to Jo. She is an amazing person, a wonderful person. And I'm not sure I'm going to say this or not, but I feel like I am because I've got a little bit of time. Um, as I was kind of coming up here tonight, I was reminded um, of, of, I was at a wedding, I think, recently, which is what has triggered this for me. Um, when I got married, or just before, uh, the hens, for Joe's Hendu, asked me a series of questions about Joe, and then I, they had to see if my answers matched up to hers, I think, based on a co- po- you know, kind of popular game show. And uh, one of the questions was, how three words that you would choose to describe Joe? And, you know, there's so many different amazing traits that I could, I could think of for Joe. But I panicked in the moment. And the three words that I said were that she's fun, she's friendly, and she's northern. So, <laughs> so Joe Brennan, you're fun, you're friendly, you're northern, you're many other things, as well as being an amazing wife. <laughs> That's Joe. Uh, she's a primary school teacher in the southeast of the city, works very hard, does a wonderful job, works with very small children. I couldn't do it. Any primary school teachers in the house tonight? Yes, God bless you. Enjoy half term. You've earned it. And um, she's just great. We've got three kids together. We've got Naomi, who's five, Isaac, who's three, and Lydia, who's one. So I don't have a lot of free time. I don't get a lot of sleep. I watch a lot of CBBS <laughs> and do slightly messy crafts. But being a dad is absolutely awesome. I love it. I love it. I love it. And the only other thing that you probably need to know about me, apart from the fact that I've got red hair, is that um, I love to run. So if you're into endurance sports in any way, just come and find me at the end, irrespective of whether God's moved in your life. I'd love to hear a little bit about so a little bit about what you get up to. I spoke to a fellow runner last week. You'd be speaking my language if you do. Enough about that. So September, when we started this, this kind of evening gathering off, we began a new series that we call we were calling exiles and ambassadors and really <clears throat> excuse me we're thinking about what it means to live a life for Jesus in a culture in a society which doesn't necessarily embrace or recognize the kingdom of God and its values and we're kind of asking the question what does it mean to follow him in this particular time in this particular place in this particular city because we believe it's no accident that we are where we are now, that God has, has us where we, he wants us. And so we're thinking, what does it mean to represent him wherever it is that he has placed us, be it at our universities, in our schools, our workplaces, shared houses? How do we represent him? How do we be ambassadors? And to do that, we've been tracking through the book of Acts. 
And that really charts kind of the, the birth and the, and the growth, really, of the early church movement. And we've been focusing on this man, Paul, who many of you will know about, very famous guy. Um, and this, this amazing testimony of being possibly the most violent persecutor against kind of followers of Jesus and this transformation that he has to becoming this sold out ambassador for him, a planter of new church communities and a writer, I've read, apparently just Googled it, of nearly third of the New Testament. He's a guy that's worth following. And we've been tracking him and his co-worker and friend Barnabas, which I just think is a great name, incidentally. And they've been traveling throughout a region, an ancient region called Galatia, which we now roughly know as modern day Turkey. And they've been going through different towns. They've been going through different cities, sharing the gospel. And they've seen God drawing new people from kind of outside the traditional Jewish faith and background. They're described as Gentiles in this passage. And we've witnessed really the birth of the new early church movement. And it's been, a, it's been story after story, full of blessings, full of like signs and wonders of people finding hope, faith, and healing in Jesus. But simultaneously, it's also been a story filled with battle, with opposition. And not just like, you know, some discouraging words spoken against you, some, some gossip, or maybe like a critique of the message, like I'm not particularly sure, Paul, I agree with that last point you made. But we're talking violent, horrible persecution. In the passage that um, Alan spoke on last week, we see Paul and Barnabas having rocks thrown at them in the city that they're in. To the point where Paul is kind of beaten half to death. He's dragged out of the city. And we see that he is facing the most intense kind of opposition that could be faced. It literally is life over limb. And then we've, we, we see miraculously, somehow, some way, Paul returns to consciousness. And he, is, he goes back into the city where he's just been um, stoned. What, what a crazy man. I know Alan shared on that last week. And then he's persuaded to move on to a new place, to a place called Derbe. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right. We'll go with that could be Derby. But we pick up the story here, and we're going to look in the Bibles now at Acts chapter 14. I think it's going to appear on the screen behind me. It's verse 21 through to 28. You might want to get your Bible out as well and read it through. But this is Acts chapter 14, verses 21 to 28, the next bit of that little story. So they, that's Paul and Barnabas, preached the gospel in that city, and they won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they put their trust. After going through Pisidia, they came into Pamphylia and when they preached the word in Perga, they went down to Attilia. And from Attilia, they sailed back to Antioch, where they had been committed to the grace of God for the work they now completed. On arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they stayed there a long time with the disciples. So that's kind of our passage for tonight. Very quickly, though, something just to get us thinking. The other night... Uh, Joe and I were uh, out on a very rare date night. Uh, okay, so yeah, check us out, rock and roll. And we, uh, we went to watch the new Bond film. 
Has anyone been to see it yet? Yeah, surely you have. Surprise, it's not everybody. Um, I, well, I mean, you know, I think we all know who the date night was aimed at, you know, really. But um, what can I say? I'm just a servant-hearted guy. I love to bless Joe in that way. Come on, you're with me. Um, I love Bond. I'm not going to spoil it in any way, but it, it had everything that I wanted in a Bond film. It was very long, but what a masterpiece. And I came out with kind of two reflections, really, after watching that film. Number one, Daniel Craig has got a serious physique for a man in his 50s. Again, I Googled that. He's 52 or something like that. I was like, how does he do this? The man's a machine. Clearly, there's no, uh, no dunking donuts in his life. And secondly... I must be getting a little bit old uh, because as I, as I walked through the city centre with Joe, I thought, I'm not sure I feel 100% comfortable out here right now because we were walking by. There were some people going on a night out dressed in some rather scantily clad clothing. It was a very cold night. I thought they could really do with a coat to keep them warm. We, uh, we listened to two groups of lads outside a pub. They were having a delightful conversation, insulting each other's family heritage. And uh, I also saw then, as I was just going round the side street to get to our car, uh, somebody who was, uh, they thought discreetly, but not so discreetly, urinating up against the wall. And I thought, crikey, I'm not sure I want to be out in Sheffield City Centre anymore at 10 o'clock on a Monday night or whatever it was. And in that moment, I pictured uh, my little boy Isaac. He's three years old. And um, he's got a very sweet, angelic face. He's not always like that, though. Don't, don't let him be like you. But I pictured him kind of like sort of in bed, just sleeping. He's got this little fresh, innocent face. And then in my mind's eye, I pictured him out in Sheffield City Centre, kind of aged 18, in his tight-fitting <laughs> T-shirt and skinny jeans, cutting off circulation to his major arteries and veins, um, strapping on his, um, his dirty old corpse shoes, <laughs> his Sunday best, ordering a double vodka and coke at the bar. And I'm thinking, dude, I do not want you to grow up. Please don't grow up to be 18. But of course he will, and they must. But it kind of takes you like surprise, those sorts of moments. And I'm having a few more of them now, I guess, as I get older. We had one last um, academic year. Our eldest daughter, Naomi, went off to primary school. And um, it was a big moment. And normally, when you drop your kids off in reception, you can go into the, the school and you can um, be in the classroom, kind of familiarise them with it, get them settled. Oh, no, with COVID restrictions, you literally had to leave them at the gate and the teachers take them in. And there's like this line of four and five-year-olds just all waiting to go off. And some people are sobbing. Some people are looking like totally confused. Like, they don't know what's going to hit them. And then there's the children. And it's like, oh, my goodness. This is really flipping hard on the emotions. Letting go is sort of what I want to speak about tonight. Not in Frozen style, but, um, you know, you get, get with me. Um, letting go, especially of people, of places, maybe even seasons in our life that are really dear to us is really, really hard. And yet, I think it's a God thing because that opens us up to new opportunities, new experiences. It's how we grow. And I kind of realize as I'm sharing tonight that I may be speaking to lots of people who are kind of going through that sort of letting go phase at the minute. Lots of students in the house tonight. And, um, you, you know, maybe you've moved from one city to another. You've left behind one familiar set of um, kind of almost a familiar lifestyle, familiar group of friends. And you've, you've transitioned into something new. You're moving into adulthood, potentially. You are, you know, you're um, putting down roots. You're growing in responsibility. You're meeting new people. You're fending for yourself. It's a, it's a time where you're embracing something new and letting go 
of the old. We might kind of experience that as young adults, maybe in the workplace, maybe starting a new job or transitioning into a new role. Or maybe it's not us who uh, is perhaps moving on, but it's like letting go of someone else, maybe a colleague, somebody who we've invested in, trained up and watching them move on. Letting go is really, really hard as I was thinking about it all. But do you know what? I think those are the moments that God can really choose to use to grow and to refine us as his followers. And definitely, I think when we look at this passage, it's how he chooses to grow his church. Because that passage that we've read, right, at first glance appears a bit like an itinerary, almost like a little bit like one of those sort of slightly pretentious tour guides uh, or tour shows or, um, yeah, travel programs where you kind of got the graphics of like somebody on a map moving from one place to the next with a little bus. And it's like we're, we're just following Paul and Barnabas as they kind of retrace their steps back through all the places that they've been to the home church of Syrian Antioch. But dig a little deeper, and there's something really significant and profound happening in all of this. What we are witnessing, I think, is perhaps the very earliest form of church planting going on. And no doubt, many church leaders over the years have dissected this passage, tried to analyze it. What is Paul's strategy here? How can we learn from it? But when we look at it, it appears rather simple. They visit a place they've been to maybe a few weeks or months earlier. They say some encouraging things. They share again the gospel. They pray. They fast. They assign some new leaders to the church to do the job that they can't because they've got to go. They're moving on to the next place. And that's it. Church left, ready to go. And it's like, what, what else? What other resources do they have? with them maybe they get well sure they get a letter from Paul he loves to write a letter um, and most scholars would agree by the end of this passage he's back in his home church that's probably where he penned the letter to the Galatian churches but to all intents and purposes these guys are left kind of on their own left to kind of fend for themselves they're almost just like seemingly like they've been let go but of course and I'm sure we all agree that I'm not naive enough to think that that's what's happening you know, Paul and Barnabas weren't just um, absent-minded. They weren't just, they didn't just have itchy feet. They weren't just abandoning these church communities. It was all built and centered around the fact that they had the deep sense of trust and conviction in the truth that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is Lord over his church, and that it's his church, not theirs, to do with what he wants to do with it. And it's his Holy Spirit that he's given to call his church into being, to guide it, to strengthen it, to encourage it and challenge it. It's all his. And that they just get to play their part and join in with that movement and do the job that God has for them. And yeah, sure, for Paul and Barnabas, that was being a witness, that was sharing the good news of Jesus to those who didn't yet know him. But also, it was definitely this kind of discipline, this willingness to release control, to let go, and to let God do with his church what he wants to do. And we see in this passage kind of this wonderful symmetry, really. We've got Paul and Barnabas, who were sent out originally by this spirit-filled community in Syrian Antioch. And there's fasting, there's praying. They entrust these guys to the Lord. They commit them to his grace, and they say, you're off. They're in your hands now, God. And we see them 
doing the exact same thing in this passage for all the communities that they go back and visit. They pray, they fast, they encourage, they appoint new leaders and send them off and then away they go. It is in essence a releasing process that's happening here. It's a a moment of letting go. And for Paul and Barnabas, it was them effectively saying, look, God, we entrust these people to you. It's your church to do with what you want to do with it. And ultimately, we are trusting that they are going to be responsible to you and you are responsible to them. They belong to you, Jesus. It's your church. And um, we, we actually had a moment like this recently with the very wonderful Abby Murphy. Who misses Abby? We love Abby. She's on some, somewhere on the way to Ecuador now. Um, and she, there had been this point where she prayed, she discerned, she discussed with people what God was calling her into next. And effectively, she was, she was kind of let go, released from her kind of obligation in terms of leading Young Adults Church to follow where God had called her to Ecuador, to work with the marginalized, to work with the oppressed, to bring hope, to bring healing, to share Jesus. And you know, that is a God call. And when God puts a call on your life, then at times we have to learn to let go ourselves and also to let go of other people so they can step into that. And that's what we see here with Paul and Barnabas, leaving behind Not people who are just left to fend for themselves, but spirit-filled church communities, new embassies of hope. It's a beautiful and powerful thing. And it's a practice that, in a very humble um, way at SDC, we've tried to imitate and adopt. You know, we're a church that loves students. We love investing in students. We want to give you guys all that we can in the however many years that you've got with us. We want to see you grow and flourish. We want to give you opportunities to see you step into leadership, knowing that in three or four years, perhaps you will move on. You might go somewhere else, but you're going to take with you what God has given you and step into the place that he's called you to. We love to invest in trainees. We have an intern program here. We've done so for 20 odd years in different forms kind of intentionally training up, discipling people who've given a year to the church and then releasing them. Yes, into Christian ministry, some of them. Yes, a few to kind of work on the staff team, but actually the vast majority stepping out into the world to work in business, education, healthcare, wherever it is that God has called them. It's a releasing thing. And as we heard from Bishop kind of Rick Thorpe a few weeks ago, and our, our very dear leader, Mr. Tom Finnamore. And um, we've talked a lot about church planting now recently and how we are praying that God is going to um, send people from our church, commission them to go to new areas of the city, to, to share the gospel with people who haven't yet heard about Jesus. And inherently, we know that as we do that, there's going to be a cost in letting go. And it's not just financial. We're going to be raising a fund to kind of support that process but it's emotional because these are people that we will let go of who we love, who we care for, who we don't really want to see go because they're great and we'd rather they stay in our community. But we are trusting that God has called them. We are sending them off because he's calling them into somewhere new. And I love how this passage ends. We see Paul and Barnabas. They're now back in their home community in Syrian Antioch, and they're sharing the stories of the past two years. That's roughly how long they've been out there on this missionary journey of all that they've seen, all that they've experienced, all that they've seen God do. And 
there's this wonderful phrase that's used about the place where they have come from originally. In verse 26, it says that that church that they went from was a place where they were committed to the grace of God for the work they've now completed. The wonderful thing about all of this stuff, about learning to let go, about stepping into the new, is that it's all grace. It's all a Jesus thing. It's all his grace, his unmerited kindness, his favor to us. And what we see here is that the prayers of this faithful community in Antioch had been answered because they were willing to let go of Paul and Barnabas, to trust them over to God. And that through them, he had reached out through their words. He had healed people. He had brought people in. He had done new things in new places. The kingdom had extended. And it was all his grace. And it all came about through a group of amazing people who were willing to let go. And if we're serious about wanting to live as ambassadors, as witnesses to Jesus, as a church, but as disciples as individuals, as humble, as broken, as messed up, as flawed as we are, that's definitely me. We need to learn to let go at times in our life, to release control over our own lives and our futures and say, here I am, Lord, send me. To have that, to go to that place where we're willing to say, look, I don't have I don't need to have all the answers, God. I don't know how this is all going to work out. I don't know how financially I'm going to be sorted here, God. But I trust that you are enough because I've heard your voice. I've read your word. I've experienced your presence. And I believe you're enough. And I believe that your grace is sufficient in my weakness. And that I trust that the one who's called me is faithful and that he will do it. And kind of as I finish, really, as somebody who's now in my mid-30s, not looking sadly as good as Daniel Craig, definitely looking a little bit my age, been around the block, the block a little bit, I have this sense that there is, something, there is something in me that God has done over the years around this whole thing of letting go. And that every point where I've had to do so, it's been difficult. It's been hard. There's been questions. There's been doubts. There's been anxiety. But it's all been marked by his grace and by his provision, often as well financial provision, and this deep, deep sense of joy as I'm stepping into something new. Be it as I was getting married to Joe, or um, in our first year of marriage when I decided to go part-time as a teacher. Massive pay cut. Do the intern year here. How is God going to provide to the point where I took the job as the youth leader, not knowing what the heck I was doing, and I still don't. To the point where we've seen young people who've invested in for like seven years go off to university, and we think, Lord, have we done enough? It's all a grace thing. And as I was praying and reflecting on this passage, the challenge that God gave me, and I just want to kind of encourage you with as well, is that will we be the generation who takes those grace-filled opportunities. Because as I talk to people my age and your age, and indeed younger, there is a sense in which we might not, that we might let fear cripple us, that we might be played, so played with doubts or so rigidly stuck to a particular career path and thought path that we are unwilling to embrace the new 
opportunities that God has for each of us because it's a little bit scary and because it feels like a little bit like all the answers aren't there because it feels like a step too far. But maybe, just maybe, those are the places that God really wants us and where he has us and he's saying, let go and let me. I'm going to, um, I'm going to kind of bring this into land now, and I'm going to invite uh, the band to kind of uh, come up to the stage. And we're, we're going to have a time where I think we're going to worship God again. But I wanted to um, just encourage us tonight that perhaps maybe God might be saying to us something in all of this. And to do that, I wanted to just um, pull out perhaps two or three different groups of people in this passage and how maybe God might be speaking into our lives tonight. And then we'll pray and we'll worship. So maybe tonight you find yourself feeling a little bit like that new community that's been left behind. That you find yourself maybe living out a life of faith in an environment, a place, a house, where maybe you're the only Christian, where maybe many people around you do not get this thing that you have in your heart and this thing that you do with your life. And maybe tonight you just need to hear God's word to strengthen and encourage you. And perhaps maybe he really wants to do that through other people. And I sense maybe there is a challenge for perhaps those of us who've been gathering in this church over the past few weeks, but we haven't found a place in community yet. Then maybe tonight is the night to put that right and to say, look, God, I want to commit to a smaller group of people, that I need those people around me to strengthen and encourage me, that I realize I can't do it all on my own. And if that's you, there's a welcome stand at the back. I'd really encourage you to go there at the end. And somebody who's very smiley and lovely will tell you about all how you can get connected in church. Maybe perhaps you've been looking at Paul and Barnabas, these amazing spirit-filled dudes, and thinking, how do I do that? Maybe you're sensing that God is calling you to take a step of faith into the unknown, that kind of uncomfortable, difficult place where you're stepping out into the waters of faith and you're not really sure how it's all going to work out. Maybe God's wanting to do something new in your life. He's calling you into a new place, to a new group of people. Maybe even, dare I say it, to a new job. If that's you, then tonight, maybe it's our job tonight to get around you, to pray for you, to release you, to entrust you to God and ask that he will give you all that you need. And if that is you, I'd love to encourage you at the end to come find one of us at the front. We'd dearly love to pray for you if you're taking that step of faith. And perhaps maybe finally, there is a group tonight of people who, um, a bit like Paul and Barnabas as they leave churches behind, or the spirit-filled community in Antioch, that you're counting the cost of letting something go. Maybe it is a person, maybe it's a relationship. Maybe somebody you've spent a lot of time with, you've invested in. Maybe this is a night that God just wants to shower you with his grace, to provide you with peace and comfort and to trust that he's in control and that he knows what he's doing.